So depending on your tradition, there are three different events, holidays happening this weekend. One is Reformation Sunday. Reformation Sunday is the last Sunday in October, closest to October 31st, which remembers the day in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the cathedral at Wittenberg. And behind that began the Protestant Reformation of which we are heirs. This reminder, a call to the church to come back to some of the essentials of finding and grounding our lives in Scripture and living by grace alone and by faith alone. In other traditions, this weekend is a celebration of three days. It's All Hallows' Eve and then All Saints' Day. And then finally, simply um, Saints' Day on um, Tuesday, so October 31st, November 1st, November 2nd. And it's a reminder of those who've gone before. A reminder of the saints in our lives, those known and unknown. And not simply the big names, but the famous names, but the saints that are all around us. The holy ones in Christ. And so all saints' days remembered are on, um, on the second, remembers all those who have passed away. The third one is Halloween. And so you may remember, you may have even heard that. So today in some church tradition is all Hallow's Eve. And so Halloween, Halloween. And so it's this night and this day. And so it's got all kinds of theories about the origins of dressing up and that. But I was thinking about all three of those days, particularly the dressing up aspect of Halloween. Because it has something to do with our passage for today. About putting on a costume and something some of you may not have done it for a while. Some of you may have done it yesterday or maybe getting ready to put one on tonight. And how that can just make you feel different, putting on a different costume. And so we're in our study on the book of Ephesians. We've been going through this book and looking at what's going on as the book of Ephesians tells this incredible story of God. The story of God who from foundations past has re, is remaking creation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he has raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set him to rule and to reign over all of creation as the cosmic king. And then he has, through God's power of his Holy Spirit, is making us new, is calling us out of death to new life, is bringing Jews and Gentiles together to form one new humanity, to proclaim this great mystery, this thing that God has done. And so the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is all about that. And then in chapter 4, the book takes a little bit of a turn. If you've read any of the New Testament letters, these letters written by Paul and by Peter and by John, you'll notice that the same thing happens in many of the other letters. That it begins with this time of exposition, talking about all the things that God has done. And then there's a moment in the letter where there's a switch. Where there's a turn where Paul or Peter or the other writers begin to say, now, what are the implications of this? What begins to happen? Now, somebody I knew once would have described this as, this is when Paul gets to meddling. I mean, it's fine when he's talking about who God is and how great God is and all the wonderful things. But then there's a moment, and it happens in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul all of a sudden says, okay, now, You've heard all this good stuff and you've been giving me all the amens and shouting and saying, oh yeah, God is great. And then all of a sudden Paul says, and now. And he starts in Ephesians 4 verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy 
of the calling you have received. In other words, to begin to walk is this language. Now, because of all these things, there's a consequence that relates to it. There's some result of that. And so that's what we're going to be doing now is looking at what happened because of all these things. What, what's the result of all this work that God has done? And there's a temptation to sometimes believe that now it's just a bunch of stuff we have to do. But there's a, result, there's a connection between these two. A connection between the identity that God has talked about and who we become. And so uh, Klein Snodgrass said it this way. He said, the purpose of the indicative statements, and indicatives is just the fancy word for saying the things that are. So chapters one through three, where he's talked about all the things that God has done. He says, the purpose of the indicative statements is to give understanding, to shape our minds, to grasp what is true about God and ourselves. And so we learn that in Ephesians one through three. What's true about God is his love is bounteous and his grace is overflowing. What's true about ourselves is we were foreigners, we were aliens, we were caught in our trespasses and sins, but God raised us up from those because He brought us to new life. He says, to grasp what is true and right about ourselves, and the purpose of the commands, and that's the part we're starting today, is to move that understanding into life and action. He said, the purpose of the indicative statements is to give understanding to shape our minds, to grasp what is true about God and ourselves. And the purpose of the commands is to move that understanding into life and action. In other words, to take all those things we have heard and now to begin to apply them. To begin to say, we are something new. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. Is this is about identity. That you are someone new. Paul's talked about Ephesians 2. is like, you were once dead and now you're alive. Formerly you were this, and now you are something new. You are a new creation. You are a new creature. You are new life in Christ. And now because of this new identity, our life looks different. It's a life lived with integrity. In other words, it's a life saying to say, I'm something new. I need to live that way now. And so if we think about even that example of Halloween or maybe even you could take it out into the real world. When someone puts on a uniform, say as a firefighter or a police officer or in the military, they now wear a uniform and that uniform represents something, doesn't it? And now they have to live a life of integrity because when people see a uniform, when they see a particular thing of clothing, they expect someone to live in a certain way. When someone walks in with a lab coat and a a name tag that says, doctor, you expect something from them and they need to live a life of integrity that matches who they are. And so in the same way, he's saying, when we become a new creation in Christ, we're expected to live a life with integrity. Now, this isn't to say our actions can't be wrongly performed and motivated. Because we can certainly say, oh, well, we can live out a life of trying to follow Jesus and it can be out of a sense of superiority. It can be out of a sense of trying to pay back God but this is not what this is about. This is about living this life of integrity. That we have this new identity that comes to us by grace. That we are a new creation. But we live it out by faith. Think about that. That this new identity is by grace, but faith is living that out. And so that's what we're going to pick up in Ephesians 4. And so we start in... There we go. 
Yeah. There we go. Ephesians 4, verse 17. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. So you get the sense Paul's, I mean, he's getting ready to say, I insist on this. This isn't just like, hey, I got some, something nice to tell you. But I insist on this in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You must no longer live this way. You must no longer walk this life. You must no longer lead this kind of life. What kind of life? The life that the Gentiles do. Now, there's something curious going on here. Because I want you to think about this. He's saying, you people in Ephesus, I don't want you to live like the Gentiles do anymore. Who are the people that he's writing to? Yep. So in Ephesians 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So now he's saying to a bunch of Gentiles, he's saying, you Gentiles, I don't want you to live like Gentiles. Or we could adopt it and say, he says, you Americans, I don't want you to live like Americans anymore. You say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, Gentiles, remember, is this category. The world was divided into basically two groups. There were the Jews and the Gentiles, and Gentiles was just basically everybody who wasn't Jewish. But so is he telling them that they're not Gentiles anymore? What's he getting at? He's saying that that's not their identity any longer. That their identity has been changed. That when in Christ, when you're in Christ, those old labels don't apply. When you are in Jesus Christ, those old labels don't. So he's saying, don't live like that life anymore. Don't live that old life anymore, the life as the Gentiles do. And he goes on to describe what that looks like. When he says, what are the, how do the Gentiles live? And so this is in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 17, follow. He says, the Gentiles, they live in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And they've lost all sensitivity. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? So what's he getting at here? He's saying that these Gentiles have come to this point. He says, they're darkened. There's futility. There's ignorance, there's hardening, they've lost all sensitivity. In other words, we might say they've become calloused. They become calloused to the way that they're living. And so we might ask ourselves, how do people get to that point? How do they get to the point where they no longer or even recognize what they're doing is wrong? You get that idea, don't you? Have you ever, maybe you've experienced it yourself? Maybe you've been around someone, and I think of when I was in the military, and one of the things that I find when you're around soldiers is they have colorful language. They tend to swear a lot. And what I found was when I first got in, that all of a sudden after a few months, I had picked up that same habit. Why? Because I had become calloused to it. It was so much a part of my thinking and my way of living. And I know that even for some of the soldiers, I sat with, I had one of my squad leaders, Sergeant Frazier, in my first platoon I commanded. And I kid you not, every other word out of this man's mouth began with F. And it was like I sat there and I was counting one time and in the course of a two-minute conversation, he must have said it 43 times. 
And I, I said, Sergeant Brady, and, and, but I don't think he was even aware of what he was doing. And it's not just, it can, be, it can be language, it can be other things in our life. It can be that first time you take something from the office that doesn't belong to you, and then it becomes a little bit easier, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. Or it might be watching pornography, and it becomes callous. And at first, the first time you do it, you think, oh, this is wrong. And maybe the second time, and the third time. But after a while, what Paul is getting at is, when we live as Gentiles, our hearts become calloused to those evils. And he's saying, you need to come out of that callous life, that life where you don't even recognize that what you're doing is wrong, that where you don't even recognize that you've begun to decide for yourselves what's right and what's wrong. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So he set up this, light, this picture of saying, this is the old life. This was the prior way. This was the way you're doing. But he's saying, I don't want you to live like that anymore. And so what he's saying, he says in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. But he says, now you're called to live a new life, a different way of living. And the way he describes it is in verse 20. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He's saying to these people, he says, that's not what you learned. That's not what you heard. Instead, what you need to remember is what you were taught. When you heard about Christ, the truth that is in Jesus. And what he's getting at in part is what we're taught, what he had taught them was a person. That when we talk about teaching the faith, we're not simply teaching a set of principles. We're not simply teaching theological truths. But what we are called to learn as followers of Jesus, what we're called to learn is Jesus himself. To learn and to know his life, to, to study his life and his teachings, but to know who he is, that the truth is not a set of beliefs, but a person. And he's saying, you need to move out of that old way of thinking, that old way of thinking where you begin to decide what's right and wrong for yourself and begin to learn the way of Jesus. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see someone who set aside all his own rights, who set aside all his own ideas and sought solely to do the will of God. We pray it nearly every Sunday here at Fruitland. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And sometimes we like to think of that as that stuff that's going on out there. We want the world to be a better place. But the your kingdom come, your will be done also means in our own lives. It's a call to change. And so it's saying, this is not the way you learned. We didn't learn that way. And he's saying, you need to recover that. And so then he goes on to describe what the way of Jesus is. And he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. There we go. To put off your old self. That's the first part. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. In other words, it's getting rotten. It's why? Because we have these desires. And now what he's saying, notice what it says. It's not simply corrupted by your desires, but what kind of desires? 
your deceitful desires. Because there are times where we desire things that are good and true. Is wanting a relationship a good thing? Yeah. Is wanting to be able to clothe and feed your family a good thing? Is wanting to feel a sense of purpose a good thing? But what it's saying, what Paul is getting at, is sometimes our desires become deceitful and they begin to tell us that we can find those desires fulfilled in the wrong things. So we desire relationship. And so we may begin to all of a sudden try and find that relationship with every person we can see. People get caught up in sexual promiscuity trying to find a way to say, oh, I'm looking for that next relationship, that next thing that's going to fulfill my need for relationship. And what's happened is the desire has told you a lie. The desire has told you a lie that you can find it in something else other than in God. And so it's going on about what that is. And so it's saying there are these deceitful desires. And so this is the first step in moving from the Gentile way of thinking to the truth that is in Jesus. First, you have to take off the old desires. And again, this is the kind of changing clothes or putting on a costume analogy. You don't simply throw everything over what you're currently wearing. You take off those old things. And then the next step is you're made new in the attitude of your mind. In other words, you begin to adopt a new way of thinking. You begin to think about things and see things in a different way. In what way? The way of Jesus. You begin to see how Jesus taught about it. And then finally, he says, you put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we take off the old self, our mind is renewed, and then we put on the new self. And now, does that mean we're not attracted to sin anymore? No. But it's, those things are put to death on the cross. But we're clothed, and when we're clothed in Christ, we, the pull of sin is less. We put off this old self, this humanity. And that's really, it says, when you put off your old self, you put off that old humanity that old way of living, you take that off and you put on the new thing and all these desires which may have been good at some point. And then we remake our mind in the new way, in the stories of Jesus. We're beginning to remake our mind in the ways and the stories of Jesus. And so Paul, having done this then, he begins to give some examples of what this looks like. So you might be saying, okay, Pastor, I get the idea. We've got these you know, take off the old, renew my mind, and put on the new. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He actually gives some examples of it. So if you follow down, he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. He's saying, in other words, this old way of living is to speak false. And think about why do we tell lies? Why do we tell lies most of the time? It's usually to protect ourselves, isn't it? It's to cover up something. We've, we've done something wrong. We don't like something about ourselves. We're not sure about something. And so we lie. In other words, we try and project an image. Or we tell a lie because we want someone else to do something. We're trying to manipulate. We're trying to eat. And he's saying, that's the old way of living. Where you've been shaped and you've been warped by the world. But the new way is to speak truthfully to your member. He says, because we're all members of one body. This is a great picture because he's saying, you don't want your body lying 
to other parts of the body because bad things happen. Imagine if your eyes were to lie to your foot. And your eyes would say, no, there's no step there. Nothing up there, foot. Well, what's going to happen when I walk forward if my eyes have lied to my feet? I'm going to fall down, aren't I? And it's the same way he's saying, the body can't lie to itself. He says, we're part of one body when we lie to one another. And the thing is, if I walk off the step and fall down again, I hurt my whole body, don't I? It's just not the feet that I've lied to that get hurt. It's the whole body. And so Paul is saying we have to take off that old way of living and begin to live in a new way. Because the old way is deceived as saying, well, lying's, lying's not a big thing. It's all okay. He goes on, he says, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, does he say, don't get angry? But he says, in your anger, what? Don't sin. Don't do something with that anger. Because what's anger again? Where does anger come from? Anger comes from when things don't go the way we want them to go. Dallas Willard describes it as, we all have our own kingdom, and we like to have our kingdom running a certain way. And when someone contradicts my kingdom, then I get angry. When someone doesn't drive the proper speed on the highway. When someone doesn't meet my expectations of how I think things are going to go in a meeting. When someone doesn't do the way things certain, when they make me wait longer than I expect to learn. Because don't you know I have important things to do? I have places to go. I have things to do. I'm important, and this is my kingdom. How dare you make me wait that extra three and a half minutes? And we become angry. And then he says, don't sin. He says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, do so, deal, deal with those things. Because oftentimes we realize, one, is anger is just kind of silly, isn't it? It's happened nationwide as we've kind of beginning, it, if I dare say the words, emerged from the other end of the pandemic. And I've seen it happen and I've heard too many stories of it, of people going back and they're starting to go back into restaurants and things. And you may have noticed that many of the restaurants, particularly fast food places, they're kind of short on staff right now. And so, and many times there might be Two people, maybe three people working an entire McDonald's and the, their combined age is probably younger than some of you. You got three 20-year-olds running an entire restaurant and you come in there and it takes an extra couple minutes to get your quarter pounder with cheese or your McNuggets or your McCafe. And I've seen it myself, and I've heard too many stories. People come in, and they get so angry about it. They get so mad about it. It's like, what's, what's going on with that anger? Where is that anger coming from? It's an old way of living that means everything revolves around me. And what Paul is saying is, anger looks and sees these other people and says, don't give the devil a foothold. He said, because what happens when we give in to that anger, the devil gets a foothold inside of us. And then we begin to become self-justified in this righteousness. He continues on, anyone who'd been stealing. And you see where these things are all going. It's all this old life. You have to take it off. But it's not enough to just simply stop doing those old things. 
but then you begin to live into a life of righteousness. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. He's saying, okay, that's taking off the old pattern. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. And he says, but you got to work. You put on this new life where you are contributing to things that are going on. One more example, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And again, this word unwholesome, it's really kind of, it's a word like you would think maybe unwholesome might be sometimes we think like, oh, he's talking about swearing, those, that kind of stuff I was talking about earlier. The language is a little different than that. He's really talking about stuff that's rotten. You know, this rotten, he said, don't let rotten fruit language, you know, don't let rotten language come out of your mouth. What is rot? Rot, what happens when you put one rotten apple in with a bunch of other good apples? They all go rotten, right? He says, don't let rotten talk come out of your mouths. He says, but, he says, don't do that, but instead do what? Only what is helpful for building others up in accordance with their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. So it's stopping and thinking, when I get ready to say something, am I seeking to build up the other person? Am I thinking of their needs? When I get ready to post that meme or that share that story on Facebook, and it's a zinger. Oh man, it's, it's good. It's really showing that other group of people that I don't like what they're like. It's really proving my point. And I know that I'm going to get all kinds of likes from my friends, all the people who think like me. Paul's saying, do you really want to do that? Because is that building others up? When I use language that intentionally mocks people, that puts people down, even if I don't like them, if I, if I don't like President Biden or if I don't like President Trump or if I don't like Governor Whitmer, whoever it is, and I don't like them and I'm going to say this stuff about them. I like that if you drive down Bard Road, there's a house down there, some signs out front. And it's what's happened in the previous election, but it was, it's, and I'm, again, this is one of those both sides. This isn't picking on Republicans or Democrats. Now, the question is, does that kind of language build others up? Who's it building up? Absolutely no one. And so what he's saying to us as saints, remember that's how Paul began the letter. He says, to the saints in Ephesus, and he calls each and every one of us saints. And so see, we're coming full circle here back to the beginning. Where I told you there were those three holidays, and you thought, well, what does that got to do with all saints day? In other words, each and every one of us is a saint. That's the identity that God has given us in Jesus Christ. That each one of us is a saint, a person who is holy, who has been raised in Christ and given new life, and we're called to live that life. And he's saying, when you are a saint, you don't talk that way. He's saying, you have this new identity. That's what Klein was talking about when he said that. When you have this new identity, you're called to live into that identity. And so that's what he's getting at here, is this way of living. And so he's calling us as saints to say, let's examine our lives and think about the life of Jesus. Let's think about the way that God has called us to live. What's this old life we're called to put off and what's this new life that we're called to put on? We have this document we produced here at Fruitland Covenant Church called the Covenant for Christian Community. A way that talks about we live our life as a community and what it looks like. 
And one of the statements in that is it says we recognize that every person is at a different place in their walk with the Lord. And I recognize that too, that each of you are at a different place. And so sometimes when I'm preparing a message, I'm thinking, oh, okay, what do I need to tell you? You know, what are some good practical tips? And the challenge is I've got a whole bunch of different people and every one of you is at a different place. Some of you may still be in this place where you're trying to figure out how to take off that old self. You're still caught in those things. We're all caught to some extent. Some of us are trying to figure out what it looks like to put on a new life. Some of you might hear some of these statements and say, well, I don't have any trouble with rotten talk. But Paul's inviting us in some sense to let it do it. When he goes on, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and every form of malice, but be kind and compassionate to mother, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Maybe it's a call to say, I'm going to stop this anger and slander, and I'm going to find that person that I haven't forgiven, and I'm going to forgive them. But what God is inviting us to do is to recognize your new identity. You haven't put on a uniform, you haven't put on a cape, but what you have put on is Jesus Christ. You have become a new creation in Him. He's raised you from death to new life. The verse we studied a few weeks back, Ephesians chapter 2, the end, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved, and this not of yourself, but grace. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. And then he concludes it, and he says, for we are God's handiwork. In other words, we're create, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance. for. So in other words, we are saved not simply to say, I made it. We're saved not simply to get the barcode so when we get to heaven, St. Peter scans it and says, you're good. Instead, we're saved to live a new life, to live this new life. And that's what Paul is inviting us to do here, say, to live into your new identity. So the question is, who do you think you are? Do you see yourself as lousy? Do you see yourself as rotten? And that's why at the end there, we kind of read into the start of chapter 5. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of the love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What word gets repeated there? I'll read it again. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Anybody notice a word get repeated or an idea? That this is the fun. It begins with this reality that we are God's children who are dearly loved. Because the temptation might be to say, well, I need to make myself better. I need to make... But it begins in God's love for us who sent his son Jesus while we were yet sinners. And so this is where it begins, that we stumbled, we fall. We were living that old life. And Christ gave his life for us and then raised us to new life and gives us his spirit, encourages us to love us. And even when we fall back into those old ways, which we do sometimes, we are still dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. And so it comes back full circle to this, and that's to remember who you are. And so as you're thinking about these things and as you're examining your life and saying, God, how do I live into my identity as a saint? Remember, first of all, that you are dearly loved. That you are dearly loved by God. 
And that's why he wants this for you. He doesn't want this for you simply because he's a mean old God. He wants this for you because he knows when you live in this way, when you live this new life, when you put off unwholesome talk, when you begin to speak the truth, when you begin to forgive others, it's a so much better way of living. And he wants us to live that. So I would invite you this week to remember who you are. Ask God to remind you who you are. And if it needs to, just start with that place, that you are dearly loved. Because some of us just need to remember that's the starting place. That we belong to God and we are dearly loved. And then maybe you need to take the next step and say, not only am I dearly loved, but I have been raised with Christ and I have been given a new life and I'm called not to live that old way of life, but I'm called to live as a new person, a new creation in Christ who has been created to do good works in Jesus. And then to say, what does it look like to live out my identity as Christ? I like the way Dallas Willard put it, and I've quoted this a number of times, but he says, the goal of spiritual formation is to live my life as Jesus would live it if he were me. We're not called to walk around and live Jesus' life. We're called to live our lives as Jesus. So when you get in your car and you go to the store, when you go to the doctor's office, when you're sitting with your family, when you're calling people, when you're at work, when you're at school, wherever it is, you're asking yourself, what would it look like to live, how would Jesus live at this moment? What would a saint do in this moment? What would a holy one in Christ, what would someone who was raised to new life do in this moment? And then ask God to do, help you do it. Because we're not alone in this. Remember what I said? It's grace that calls in and faith is entering into that. And so we're called to live this new story. So may we live a new story. May we live as saints because that's who you are. So I would just invite you this week, church, to remember who you are. You are saints. You are new creations. And you are dearly loved. Amen.